Imagine tucking your five children into their beds on a cold Monday night in December. Just about two weeks before Christmas, they're getting excited for Santa to come and everyone in the house is anxiously awaiting a nice long holiday break. Tonight, you decide to leave the festive outdoor lights on and you snuggle into your bed and you soon drift off to sleep. Like many other families, this was the scene at the Tipton home on December 7th, 2015. But that peace wouldn't last long, and just hours later, the family of Logan Tipton would wake up to frantic screams as the young child was being brutally stabbed by a stranger. Who was this man? Why was he doing this? You're listening to True Crime IRL, and I'm Kelly Barron's Brink. This is the heart-wrenching and bewildering story of six-year-old Logan Tipton. Hey everyone, it's Kelly. Tonight's episode is a story you probably haven't heard about because, well... It wasn't covered a whole lot in the media, but it is brutal. It's tragic, confusing, and there are so many questions left behind even long after the trial is over. This happened back in 2015, and when it happened, it was mentioned in the news, and then it seemed to kind of just get forgotten about. But I was very emotionally affected by this crime. Even before I started my own podcast, I mentioned this story to other podcasters, asking them to cover it and see what new info they could dig up. And to my knowledge, I'm not sure that any other podcasts have covered it, and I understand why. There's not a ton of information out there on the case. But this little boy's story crushed my soul. The victim here is six-year-old Logan Tipton, and he he's probably just one of the cutest little guys you have ever seen. The crime itself seemed to have absolutely no explanation, no motive, no reason whatsoever. And I think this is why I became completely obsessed with it. It appeared to be totally random, and it left my mind wanting to know the why. I needed to know the why. I googled it daily, weekly, monthly, and I've followed this case for about six years. And there are still a lot of questions. But I think I have a slight understanding now of the why. Even though it's not a good why, there is a why. So I think at this point, I'm able to put together all the elements of this horrific event and tell you the story of Logan Tipton's tragic murder. Get ready. Obviously, everything I cover is gruesome and triggering, but this particular story involves the brutal and graphic murder of a young child. So if that's not something you can handle listening to right now, skip this episode. But there's always something you can take away from these stories, something we can learn here. So I hope you stick with me and hopefully we can all get through this tough episode together and maybe we can try to explore the details, the why, and then come up with some ideas. And of course, on Honor the memory of Logan Tipton, the victim. Exanis is accused of driving from his home in Indianapolis, choosing a home at random in Versailles, breaking in, getting a knife in the kitchen, going upstairs, stabbed the child to death while he slept. The trial was moved to Lexington due to publicity. 
ABC 36's Kelsey Thord takes you inside the courtroom to show you what happened. It was an emotional day here at the courthouse as Logan Tipton's family took the stand for the very first time, describing in detail the events that led up to Logan's horrific murder while his accused killer sat silent just feet away. Dean, do you see the man in the courtroom today? Yes, I do. Could you point him out for us? That's him right there. Tense moments in the courtroom Monday as Dean Tipton, Logan's father, took the stand, describing what happened after his kids woke him up in a panic in the middle of the night in December of 2015. I hustle up to the top of the stairs, and when I get to the top of the stairs, he's standing there, and he's coming down with a knife to try to stab me with he's a knife. You with knife. Yes. Tipton says he fought with Exanus for what felt like a lifetime before police showed up and arrested Exanus. And that's when Tipton said he realized Logan was hurt. It wasn't 10 seconds later. He just he looked kind of at me and closed his eyes. And that was it. He died in my arms. During opening statements, Exanus's attorneys did not deny their client killed Logan Tipton, but say it was due to a psychotic break and are arguing Exanus is not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, this is expected to be a long trial. The court has it scheduled to go on for about another three weeks. And if at the end of that, Exanus is found guilty, he could face the death penalty. Reporting in Lexington, Kelsey Thorid, ABC 36 News. Logan Tipton was an adorable little six-year-old boy with the cutest little squishy face and adorable cheeks that you just want to squeeze and kiss. And I say that as a mom. This little kindergartner was just so stinking cute. Every photo you see of this little guy, he's wearing just the brightest smile and those crooked little teeth with a bunch missing that little kids have. And he's just adorable. Logan had four siblings, three sisters, Coral, Lilia, and Dakota, and one brother, Aiden. Logan's parents, Dean and Heather, were described as incredibly loving, and the family was very well-liked in their small community of Versailles, Kentucky. Logan absolutely loved football. He played it and watched it all the time, and everyone knew that that was just sort of his thing. He's such a little guy, but there are tons of pictures of him in his football pads and his jersey just smiling big at the camera. The family of seven rented a cozy little two-story home on Douglas Avenue in Versailles where they enjoyed raising their big family together. They were great renters and great people overall. Sunday night, December 6th, 2015 was just like any other night for the Tipton family. Heather Tipton worked third shift, so her husband, Dean, was home with the kids, who slept upstairs. Since he knew Heather would quietly be coming home into the house after her shift was over, and because Heather had recently broken her house key, Dean left the door to the home unlocked that night. The entire family went to sleep thinking they'd be getting up in the morning as usual, getting ready for school and for work, but their fate would take a very different path, one that nobody could have ever predicted. Almost 200 miles away, another family's life was unraveling too, and the chaos of that would soon have a ripple effect that would destroy the Tipton family's life as they knew it. 
Lauren Burgess dated and lived with her boyfriend, Ronald Exantis, for more than three years in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. Life seemed pretty normal for Lauren, Ronald, and their kids. They enjoyed going to sporting events and other social outings like most other families did. Ronald Exantis was 32 years old. He worked with dialysis patients for 10 years with the same company, first as a technician and later as a registered nurse. His co-workers and supervisors described him, without exception, as an exemplary, dependable, and trustworthy employee. He had no previous criminal convictions, and he had no documented history of mental illness. It was known that he smoked marijuana regularly, but so do a lot of people. He lived a normal life, no legal issues, no personal issues, and no mental health concerns. Normal. That is until December 2015. At the very beginning of December, Lauren Burgess would start noticing her boyfriend acting, well, strange. The series of events that led to the tragic outcome of this case began to unfold in the first week of December 2015. During that week, Exantis' girlfriend of three years, Lauren, began noticing that he was exhibiting odd behavior. She testified that she first noticed on Monday or Tuesday of that week that he was not sleeping as much as he normally did. Lauren, as well as her parents, Will and Lisa, noticed that Exantis also wasn't eating much. And this was highly unusual as Exantis, a former semi-professional linebacker, is a man of large stature and he was known to eat a lot. He also began having crying spells. Both Lauren and Lisa testified that these crying spells were the first time either of them had ever seen him cry. His co-workers also noted unusual behavior that week. He was very giddy and bubbly at work, when ordinarily he was very serious and grounded. He was also speaking at a much louder volume than normal. One co-worker stated he discussed his personal life with her, which he had never done in the 10 years she worked with him. Another said he put his arm around her during a conversation, and this was notable to her as he historically was not someone who showed affection to others in that way. All of this uncharacteristic behavior came to a head on Sunday, December 6th. Exantis cried the whole time he and Lauren were getting dressed for church that morning, but he couldn't articulate what was wrong. Towards the end of the church service, he began crying and asked to speak to Lauren's mother. Lisa testified that she and Exantis went outside to the church parking lot. She tried to talk to him, but he was rambling and saying things that did not make sense to her. At one point, he dropped to the ground and just started crying again. Eventually, she was able to calm him down, and they went back inside the church. Not long after Exantis was back inside, he started causing a commotion in the back of the sanctuary. So Will, Lauren's dad, and a pastor took Exantis back outside to the parking lot. Will testified Exantis was babbling and saying things that didn't make any sense. The pastor who met Exantis for the first time that day testified that Exantis was very animated while he was talking. He further attested that he gathered that Exantis was asking him spiritual questions, but his words were all jumbled up and out of order. Exantis did not seem to realize that his words weren't coherent. The pastor also stated Exantis's emotions went from joy to sorrow and back to joy within five minutes. 
he fell to the ground and cried in front of them as well. Ultimately, they went back into the church and sat with the rest of Lauren's family. Exantis then began pointing at people and saying they were police officers and investigators. Soon after that, he got on one knee and proposed to Lauren while sobbing hysterically. Lauren stated this was completely unexpected and she rushed to get him off the floor because it embarrassed her. Later that afternoon, Lauren and Exantis went shopping for an engagement ring, as he didn't obviously have one on him when he proposed unexpectedly. The woman working at the jewelry store testified that they were in the store for about an hour, and she said that they were both happy and she didn't notice anything unusual about Exantis' behavior, though she had never met him before. That evening, they went to dinner with Lauren's family. Exantis started crying again during dinner and asked Will to go outside with him two different times. Will said when he was outside with him, Exantis was crying and started saying things about his patience and that he was sorry for something that had happened at work. Will asked him what had happened, but Exantis wouldn't tell him. Will was able to get him to calm down and go back inside the restaurant, but Exantis did not eat any of the food he had ordered that night. When Lauren and Exantis got back home from dinner, they began looking at items for their wedding. Lauren had him take NyQuil because she thought that his behavior might return back to normal if he got some sleep. Instead of going to sleep, though, he suddenly got out of bed and told her he didn't want to marry her anymore or even be with her. He said that he wasn't going to hurt her, but he had to go. Lauren testified that he said all of this with a calm, flat affect, and though his words were directed at her, he wasn't looking at her when he said them. According to Lauren, he left their home between 8.30 and 9 p.m. He took his personal cell phone, but not his work cell phone, despite the fact that he was on call that night. Lauren said she tried calling him and texting him several times after he left, but he never answered the phone and he never responded. The evidence presented at trial suggested that Exantis was planning to drive from Indiana to Florida where his family lived. Instead, though, he ended up in a neighborhood in Versailles, Kentucky, a place where he had never been before. Part of Ronald Exantis's mental break the days prior included a lot of discussion of his favorite television program, Grey's Anatomy. In fact, he was pretty much consumed with thoughts of this show. As a nurse, the medical theme of the show struck a chord with Exantis, and he had been binge-watching it all week. After driving for hours and about 200 miles away from home, Exantis was lost and disoriented. He would end up in the small town of Versailles, Kentucky, where he knew absolutely no one and had no ties to the community. So why Versailles? He didn't know. With Gray's Anatomy on his mind, he drove through the town's streets. He would see a street sign that said Gray Street, and in his psychotic state, the sign made him think of the television show Gray's Anatomy again, which in turn made him think that he needed to perform surgery on someone. The lit Christmas lights of one particular home would catch his attention, prompting him to stop his car, park it, and walk up to the home. This was the Tipton home, where everyone was asleep. Around 3 a.m., Exantis would turn the doorknob, find that it was unlocked, and enter the home. 
Exantis would wander through the main floor of the home undetected while the family slept. He would search the kitchen for tools to perform this so-called surgery that he thought he needed to perform, finally locating a butcher knife and a butter knife. Armed with knives in each hand, he would creep up the stairs until he came to the bedroom that the sleeping siblings shared. Without warning, he would violently begin stabbing six-year-old Logan Tipton in the head, neck, and back, severing the little boy's jugular vein, causing him to quickly bleed to death in just minutes. Hearing their little brother's screams, Logan's big sisters would bravely jump on the assailant's back and try to fight Exantis, trying to keep him from harming Logan, and in the process, they would suffer stab wounds of their own. Dean Tipton, their father, would be awakened by all the commotion, and he would sprint up the stairs in an attempt to protect his family. But it was too late for Logan. As the siblings called 911 and officers flooded the house soon after, Dean Tipton would be found laying on the floor on the killer to subdue him, also getting stabbed in the process, and little Logan would sadly pass away in his dad's arms just moments later. Who was this unknown murderer? Where did he come from? Why was he in the Tipton home? Did they know him? And why would he kill a six-year-old little boy? There were so many questions, and those questions would go unanswered for days as Ronald Exantis sat in jail, basically unresponsive, and refusing to provide any information to investigators. Even after his initial appearance in court, his own lawyer basically knew nothing about the man she would be representing. The very limited communication they could get out of Ronald Exantis involved him barking like a dog and stating that he was living inside an episode of Grey's Anatomy at the time of the murder. Basically, all his answers revolved around Grey's Anatomy. Where's your car? It's in Grey's Anatomy. Why did you come here? Because of Grey's Anatomy. He also stated he was having hallucinations and that he heard some of his former patients speaking to him in Creole. He was combative. He tried to rip his hair out of his head and a slew of other odd behaviors. It was quickly clear to police officers and mental health professionals that Ronald Exantis was in a psychotic state and was unaware of the difference between reality and fantasy. 200 miles away from Versailles, a perplexed Lauren Burgess had begun worrying when her fiancé never came home the previous night, and her worry would soon be amplified when police officers knocked on her door the next morning. And when Lauren came to the door, the officers were equally surprised. See, Exantis had told detectives that he had actually murdered Lauren before fleeing Indianapolis and driving to Versailles, Kentucky. Relieved to find that there wasn't an additional victim, they had some questions for Lauren, and that's when she told the story of the strange days leading up to December 7th. Um, Towards the beginning of the week, he um, was up all hours of the night. He wasn't sleeping. Lauren Burgess, Ronald Exantis' girlfriend of more than two years at the time of the murder, took the stand Tuesday, explaining what she called Exantis' strange behavior the week before Logan Tipton's murder. Towards the end of the week, he um, wasn't eating anymore. Um, He became really emotional. Burgess says on that Sunday, just hours before Exantis drove to Versailles, He broke down while they were at church. 
blurting out stuff that didn't make sense. He was apologizing to my mother. Um, he kind of dropped to the floor and um, he proposed to me out of the blue. Um, but he was sobbing and crying. But that proposal, Burgess says, didn't last long. He just kept saying, I don't want to be with you. I don't want to marry you. I'm not going to hurt you. I have to go. And go he did. Burgess says it wasn't until police knocked on her door the next morning that she learned what had happened. Um, and they said they only came there because Ron said that he had killed me. Now, just a reminder, the defense is arguing Exantis is not guilty by reason of insanity. But the prosecution is arguing he's not insane. He was under the influence of synthetic drugs at the time of the murder. Now, the trial is set to reconvene here at 9 a.m. Wednesday morning. Reporting in Lexington, Kelsey Thorid, ABC 36 News. With more information now, authorities were able to put together more of the pieces of this odd puzzle. Prosecutors began building their case. The defense team began probing into Exantis's mental health. And the entire town of Versailles, Kentucky mourned and rallied around the Tipton family over this horrendous act of violence, something the small community had never seen before. So hearing the story of what Ronald Exantis did, it almost sounds like some other stories we've heard about criminals who commit horrible acts of violence while tweaked out on drugs that make them delusional or make them have superhuman strength. And that was definitely suspected here. But toxicology reports would show nothing, no drugs that would cause this. All it showed was a little bit of THC, which was inactive at the time. It just showed that he had used marijuana in the past, but not at the time of the crime. And it also showed the NyQuil he had taken several hours prior to leaving Indianapolis. And that's it. With the new year just around the corner, there would be numerous delays, motions, change of venue requests, and more. But in 2016, the judge said that Exantis was competent to stand trial. Dr. Kenneth Benedict, a clinical psychologist retained by the defense, testified that in his expert opinion, Exantis suffered from a major mental illness marked by the presence of mania and psychosis. This expert stated that when these crimes were committed, Exantis was legally insane. He couldn't provide a concrete diagnosis, but he believed Exantis was suffering from either schizophrenia, psychoactive disorder, bipolar disorder with psychosis, or major depressive disorder with psychosis. Towards the end of Dr. Benedict's direct examination, defense counsel asked him if it was possible for psychosis to wax and wane over time. To this, Dr. Benedict replied, yes, symptoms of psychosis, even during an active phase when the symptoms are relatively prominent and in play a lot, do wax and wane on a daily basis, an hourly basis, and even within a 30-minute interview, you can see waxing and waning of certain symptoms. This testimony, coupled with the fact that psychosis and mania do not necessarily equate to legal insanity, provided the jury with a basis to find that Exantis's mental state could have shifted from insanity to guilty but mentally ill during the short period of time in question when he committed these crimes. 
Something we also have to think about here is previous head trauma. Exantis was a linebacker and he had taken numerous hits to the head and suffered many concussions through his football career. Could that have had something to do with his psychosis? Exantis was facing the death penalty for the murder of Logan Tipton and assault charges for the stabbing of Logan's siblings and his father. In what would be a very controversial decision, the jury would come back with a surprising split verdict on these charges. For the assault charges of Logan's siblings and father, Exantis would be found guilty but mentally ill and would be given a 20-year sentence for the assaults. But in Logan's murder, Exantis would be found not guilty by reason of insanity. It's not the verdict Logan Tipton's family expected. On the charge of murder, the jury has returned the following verdict. With the jury found the defendant Ronald Exantis not guilty by reason of insanity. <laughs> Their screams heard from outside the courtroom. The former dialysis nurse sat quietly during that verdict, gently rocking as he's done throughout the trial. While the jury found him not guilty by reason of insanity on murder, jurors found him guilty but mentally ill on the assault charges. Logan's mother doesn't understand it, telling me, how do you go from insane upon entry to mentally ill assaulting another child, to insane killing Logan, then back to mentally ill assaulting her other child and Logan's father? Prosecutors showed the bent knife that was used the night Exantis slipped into the family's home and stabbed Logan to death. An insane nightmare, Heather Tipton says, her family will relive forever. Clearly, the defense struck a chord with the jury during closing arguments. This is insanity. There is no intentionality. There is no knowingness. This is a tragic, insane nightmare. And as for the assault charges, Exantis faces up to 20 years in prison. We are covering the news live in Lexington from the LEX 18 mobile newsroom. Back to you. Recommending the maximum prison sentence for Ronald Exantis after finding him not guilty of the most serious charge against him. The jury has asked the judge to sentence Exantis to 20 years in prison for charges related to the murder of six-year-old Logan Tipton. ABC 36's Kelsey Thord was back in the courtroom today. She's live with more. Amber, like you said, the jury is asking a judge sentence Ronald Exantis to 20 years in prison. That's for three assault charges he was found guilty but mentally ill for in relation to Logan Tipton's murder. Now, all of this comes just less than a day after the jury spent close to 12 hours deliberating the verdict in this case ultimately finding Exantis not guilty by reason of insanity for the two greater charges, the actual murder of Logan Tipton, as well as for the burglary charge he faced for breaking into the Tipton home. Now, the jury did, however, find Exantis guilty but mentally ill of those three lesser assault charges. Those charges carried a minimum sentence of five years in prison and a maximum of 20 years. The jury recommended the maximum. A decision Logan Tipton's mother accepted but isn't fully happy with. I'm glad he at least got something that was the maximum that he could get. 
Unfortunately, the jury failed us in the murder of Logan, but we're not done. We're not finished. There will be more to come of this. Now that more Heather is talking about is some sort of victim's rights bill that she says she hopes to help craft in the future to help protect what she calls more vulnerable victims like young children and the elderly. Now Exantis's sentencing hearing, the official hearing will be on April 24th back in Woodford County where this crime happened. And even This verdict enraged the community and baffled both the defense and the prosecution. Attorneys representing Exantis would call the verdict logically inconsistent and stated that his constitutional rights were violated. They argued inconsistent verdicts in the case don't make sense because the events happened in such a short window and because there was no question that he was psychotic both before, during, and after his crime. In 2020, the Supreme Court would analyze and uphold the court's previous conviction and sentence. And at the time of this recording, Ronald Exantis is serving that 20-year sentence at the Kentucky State Reformatory. And the only offense on his record is a second-degree assault charge for injuring Tipton family members during the struggle. He will become eligible for parole here in a couple months, in November of 2021. So technically, he could walk free very soon now. Is that likely? No. But it's possible. Most likely, he'll be behind bars until 2029, but even that's only eight years away. He'll be in his 40s, and he'll still have a long life ahead of him. Would you feel safe having Ronald Exantis out walking the streets in just a few months or even a few years? Do you think that even that full sentence of 20 years behind bars would cure whatever caused him to kill an innocent little six-year-old boy in his sleep? Just prison time? Can prison time cure mental illness? You see, to me, that question seems absurd. Simply locking someone up in a closet for 20 years cannot transform them from a murderer into a productive member of society who's just perfectly safe walking the streets. What's been done to treat and rectify his mental health issues? Are those issues that can even ever be treated? What caused Ronald Exantis to go from an amazingly competent nurse and normal person to having this psychotic break thinking he was living inside an episode of Grey's Anatomy and then killing a child in a strange town in the middle of the night? I started this episode telling you that there were a lot of questions left unanswered in this crime, but that I thought I knew the why. And I do think I know the why, although it's not good enough, not by a long shot. The simple answer as to why this happened is unchecked mental illness, straight up. It's as simple and as complicated as that. Ronald Exantis didn't have some evil premeditated plan to alter life as he knew it, leave Indianapolis in the middle of the night, and set off to murder a random child he had never met. He didn't plan any of this. He didn't spend the week prior to Logan Tipton's murder acting erratic, playing the role of someone who was losing it, faking some sort of psychosis. He didn't display manic behavior around his fiance, his in-laws, co-workers, and an entire church full of people in an effort to pull off the ultimate premeditated crime. But he did, nonetheless, murder a little six-year-old child, Logan Tipton. He did destroy the Tipton family, the Versailles community, his fiance's family, and his own. Could this have been prevented? No, not really. It can't be prevented if it's not understood, so no. Is he safe to be paroled? 
No, no, he's not safe if his psychosis isn't understood and controlled. And I don't think it's understood still to this day. Not at all. It's been labeled, and he's probably been heavily medicated, but the way he snapped, no, he's not safe to be on the streets. I think some mental illnesses can be managed well, and I think rehab is possible after a crime even sometimes, and I advocate for that, but not in this case. Does he have the potential to do this again? In my opinion, yes, absolutely. And the reason is, again, even medical professionals were a little baffled by Ronald Exantis's mental break. He had no previous history of mental illness or violent behavior. What happened in his brain is not definitively understood, and that means there's a risk of it happening again. Nobody's a winner here. There's cause for so much outrage in this case, but none of it that can ever have any sort of solution. How can there be? There just are no answers. It's undisputable that Ronald Exantis is mentally ill. He is a cold-blooded killer, too. It's difficult to navigate through both of those things at the same time. It's easy to hate him for what he did. It's a hateful and despicable act. Unfortunately, though, hating him solves nothing. What do you think? I mean, I'm still searching for answers here, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'm still so angry over this case. I'm angry over Logan's senseless death. I'm angry over the mental illness crisis in our country. I'm angry that I want to have some downright evil person I can name and be specifically angry at in this case. And I'm angry over the fact that I feel like the killer isn't really someone we can be angry at because I don't really feel like he was mentally capable of knowing exactly what he was doing that night. I'm heartbroken for the Tipton family. Logan was a bright, loving, adorable, happy little boy who should still be alive today. I can't imagine what they've gone through all these years. My heart goes out to them. This entire situation is still very confusing and surreal, I think, to everyone. Platt. We begin tonight, though, with a heartbreaking loss for a Kentucky family and how a football field where their son once played was turned into a field of remembrance. Six-year-old Logan Tipton stabbed and killed during a home invasion. Today, a community remembered the little boy who now has wings. Our Kayla Moody in Woodford County today. Kayla. Rachel Logan Tipton was known for his infectious smile and love for the game. Tonight, the small town of Versailles is still trying to come to terms with Logan's violent death. Police say the man who killed him chose the Tipton family's home at random. Today, members of the community returned to the place Logan loved most to remember his life. Silent reflection and inconsolable grief as a tiny ivory casket is walked onto the field where number 63 was at his best. Six-year-old Logan Tipton loved football. He lived for it until life was violently ripped away. You're not supposed to question God, but you do because you wonder why they take somebody that young. For the small town of Versailles, this Friday on the gridiron is much different than the rest. 
the blustering wind not strong enough to dry the tears grieving the loss of an innocent child. The community still reeling from the unprecedented evil before them. This is never happened to a child in Warwick County. Between the tears, laughter, cheers and applause for a little boy who knew no wrong. But boy did he love to hear those bleachers go wild. Speaking at the funeral, the coach who told Logan, you give your team everything you have. At the end of the game, if you are unable to walk off the field, we will come get you. We will carry you off the field. And so they did, with his coaches as the pallbearers and his teammates lining the way. Six-year-old Logan Tipton made his final touchdown. Ronald Exantis, the Indianapolis man charged in Logan's death, was indicted by a Woodford County grand jury on Wednesday. Exantis is being held on $1 million bond. He's due back in court January 6th. The Commonwealth's attorney has said he will pursue the death penalty. Kayla Moody, WHAS 11 News. I'm Kelly Barons-Brink, and this is True Crime IRL. You've been listening to the story of Logan Tipton. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, anything about this case, especially about the mental health aspect, I'd love to hear it. Reach out on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or Twitter at True Crime IRL, all one word. And I have to say this, all opinions expressed in this podcast are my own, and I'm not a mental health expert. Obviously, I'm just a podcaster with an opinion. This was a super tough case, lots of tough stuff here, and I just want to reiterate that I have nothing but respect for the Tipton family and everyone who is a victim in this horrible story. You can catch full new episodes of True Crime IRL every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to Captain from True Crime Garage for my kick-ass theme music. I love it, and I love your jib. Is it, I like your jib? Is that is that what Captain says? I don't know. Beer, jib, jibs, douche canoes, something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, until next time, lock your doors, people. Bye-bye.